Today I'm going to talk about Moldova. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, where this work comes from and the more general projects that under which um, we are, are running this, this work. Um, I'll give you a bit of a background on Moldova because I know that everyone is not particularly um, familiar with it. Um, I'll explain the approach that, we, that we're working with here, um, show you poverty measurement, uh, poverty estimates and some descriptive statistics, and then we'll go more into, well, I hesitate to even call them results, but we'll go more into the associations um, between migration and poverty at the community level. So first of all, this is well, a quick snapshot of our website at the Master Graduate School of Governance. Um, the work that I will talk about today is part of a much larger study that we're doing. It's a two-year or two-and-a-half-year study um, funded by the European Commission. It is in Moldova and Georgia, and the main uh, um, focus of this work is to really look at the effects of migration on children and elderly who are left behind in these communities. So the idea is to really have a look at caregiver migration or those people who would normally be giving care in the, in the origin country and how that affects those people who would be cared for often than the children and the elderly. And in these communities there's also a high rate of female migration. There's been a large feminization of migration, particularly in Moldova, but we also see female migration in Georgia. And of course then, since women in these countries are the ones who are often giving the care, giving roles, um, we're really interested then in looking at what happens when there's an absence of such a person. So um, it's a big project. We um, are doing data collection in both countries. We've done household um, data collection in, well, we finished in Moldova now with a bit more than 3,500 households and a bit more than um, 107, well, 173 communities. Um, we're doing the same thing in Georgia now, but probably more towards 4,000 um, surveys and around 150 communities also there. We try to be very open in sharing with our work, so the things that we have already finished and that are um, already accomplished are on the website. So here you can also, if you guys are interested um, in the kind of data that we have or if you're starting to also create your own surveys for things, we have posted. Um, all of our tools also online, so you're more than welcome to, to have a look at them. And we've got household surveys and, and community surveys in both countries. Um, for those of you who are not quantitative people, we have also done qualitative work. Um, we've done in-depth interviews with children and with caregivers, also in, um, in Moldova and Georgia. So that gives you a more general idea of the project and project output will be coming along the way. So have a look at our website for that if you're interested. Um, all right, so to give you a bit of a background, first of all, what do I want to do in this paper? Um, well, I want to look at two main questions. Are migration and community level development related in, in the case of Moldova? And do we see higher rates of poverty among high migration communities? So why should we even care about this topic? Well, in general, you know, we're um, quite interested in the causes and consequences of migration. And if we think even about let's say, from neoclassical ideas to new economics of labor migration, why people move in the first place, or the effects that that can have. Um, we might think that people um, from less well-off communities move because of some type of deprivation, but then you could, the other side could happen, right? So you could have migration abroad, they could be sending remittances back home, they could be um, also engaging in community-level development, so the communities with migrants could also be better off because of the effect of migration. So. We're not really sure in which way this process could also go. And I also want to be careful here 
because um, during this talk I'm also not going to try to talk about causality, but only relationships and where we actually see certain types of outcomes. Because again, we're more, this project is more concerned about a policy level in general. So where can the government be targeting certain um, services, for instance, to areas that have higher poverty rates? And um, why the link between migration and uh, community development? Well, in general, I told you already that this project is really looking more at individual outcomes at children and elderly. Um, but actually, very little work has been done um, with it with regard to this nexus between migration and poverty on the community level. And particularly, very little has been done with regard to empirical research or quantitative research on the, on the community level. So we really thought that we could try to add something here since we do have this, this data available. Okay, I don't presume to know that you all know where Moldova is. Um, so, you see an arrow, Moldova is a, land, is a completely landlocked country. It is between Romania and Ukraine, and so it has basically an EU border also, which um, can bring in some different dynamics. A bit more background on Moldova. So during the interwar period, Moldova was actually part of Romania. And uh, um, then afterwards, it was um, part of the kind of Soviet bloc. And uh, um, uh, even now, um, Russian forces are still in a certain part of Moldova called Transnistria, um, which is a still a kind of contested region in the country. Um, it has been um, independent since 1991, but we don't see migration taking off until a bit later, and I'll, I'll show that to you. Um, it's a relatively um, small country, so it has about 4 million people. Um, main ethnic groups are, well, Romanian, Moldovans, um, Ukrainians, Russians, and then a few others. Um, it is also a relatively poor country in Europe. As you can see here, it is one of the poorest countries in Europe. Um, it has quite a favorable climate and good farmland, but no real mineral resources in, in the country. Um, so it depends highly on agriculture for subsistence um, and, and also for creating um, exports. And uh, it relies completely on Russia for its energy supply. So that also makes a difference in the um, economic situation also in the country. All right. This is to get, just give you an idea of how migration has kind of exploded over time in Moldova. So I know it's, it's a bit blurry for here, you here, but the most important thing is here if you see um, the light blue, this is, and this is then kind of a medium blue and the darker blue. This was in 1999 when we saw migration actually starting. Migration was really triggered um, by um, a huge economic decline in Moldova in the late 90s. Um, but here we see, so, about 3% of people were leaving from this area, 3 to 6% here, and about 6% in the high migration areas. We fast forward just six years, and you can see that the pattern has changed dramatically. dramatically. So here in the low migration areas, we already have 10% of the population that's leaving. In the medium migration areas, we have between 10 and 25% of the population that's leaving. And in these pockets here of high migration, you have um, more than 25% of the population that is leaving. That is huge uh, for any country. And rates have stayed like this also until present day, more or less. I mean, with a small dip, let's say, during the financial crisis, but migration is, has stayed r relatively high. Um, to give you a bit more of a background, um, this is just a, um, a snapshot from the Migration and Remittances Factbook. 
Um, here we have stocks of migrants at about 20-22% um, of the population. There are different, different estimates of migration in Moldova, probably anywhere from about 250,000 to around 1 million migrants at any given time in, in the year and depending on who's estimating it. That is also partially because um, a lot of the migration that's happening in the Moldovan context is short-term or seasonal migration. So at some point in the year there's there might be up to 1 million people <coughs> away and one, let's say, 12-month period. Um, the, top, the main destination countries for migrants um, from Moldova are really Russia and Italy. Here you see also a couple of others. So generally the CIS mm. is also a place where, where, where migrants go, but it's really mainly Russia, Russia and Italy, and this is also quite gendered. So you have mainly men going to Russia, working in the construction sector and in more seasonal types of labor. You have women going more to Italy and working in the care sectors. And that's also why this whole idea of caregiver migration became, uh, let's say, more of a hot topic, particularly in Moldova, because they saw the increasing migration of women to Italy and also highly skilled women to Italy. Men who go to Russia also usually go for a shorter period of time. It's also easy to go um, to cross the borders and cheap. So men are usually really following these seasonal patterns, whereas we see that when women actually go to Italy to work, they stay away for a few years before they return again. So their migration is, is also a bit longer. They also generally make more money um, than men. So there's a quite strong um, pull factor also. Um, skilled migration is not, or the brain drain and, um, idea in Moldova is not so much a, of an issue. There are skilled people who are migrating, but it's not that um, a huge percentage of the skilled population is leaving. And, and Moldova also does have an immigrant population, but that's less important for today. With all of this migration, of course, these migrants have mainly gone abroad to work and to send back money, so remittances. This gives you an idea of how important um, the money that migrants have been sending back um, is for Moldova. So they stopped in about 2008, but the trend has continued. Um, we see that the rates of remittances to Moldova have stayed between 30% and 40% of GDP even now, um, which I mean, means that the economy is also highly reliant on this, for, on this um, source of income. So that's just to give you a bit of a background on Moldova. I hope the picture is a little bit more clear now. Um, now I'll explain a bit about the approach that we use. So, um, as I told you, um, we collected this data actually last year. We collected the data between September and December of last year with about 3,500 households. In each of the households, we collected information on all members of the household. So we have a kind of a household roster and background information about all the household members. Then we actually have a separate module only for caregivers in the household, and they give information about all the children in the household. And we have a separate questionnaire for all children between the ages of um, 11 and 18, also that was done with the children, and a separate questionnaire that was done with all the elderly in the household. This is a nationally representative survey. We, um, uh, we, we um, selected the, the sample from the labor force survey in the country. Um, and next to that, we did also 173 communities in Moldova that were also randomly selected. And so it was in, within each of the primary sampling units in each of the communities that we did the household surveys, then that we did a survey also with um, a community leader in, in that area. 
For this paper, um, we use 155 of the communities, and that is because um, we're looking at um, differences in migration rates, and some of the community leaders did not have a good idea of the rate of migration in their community. So mm -hmm. we just, for this analysis, we've, we've dropped those. Um, maybe just to give you a bit more background, we also did all this data collection electronically. That's why I actually put a couple of pictures here. This is uh, a training of interviewers. Everyone has netbooks. And you can see um, uh, our programmers here with, with the notebooks also. So in case anyone's thinking about doing their own data collection and also a large scale data collection, I would highly recommend doing electronic data collection. It's a lot of trouble in the beginning, but it saves you a lot of time and effort um, afterwards and cuts down on a lot of uh, um, errors in your data. Not all, of course, but it does cut down on a lot of errors in the data. And this is just a, a picture of uh, uh, one of our interviewers interviewing an elderly gentleman in his household. So what are we looking at here? Um, with, within the communities, and actually we're using the same kind of approach with the rest of the, the study that we're doing, we're looking at um, multidimensional poverty. And this really, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with this concept. concept there is a group here um, that works on multidimensional poverty at, at Oxford. Um, but this idea came uh, um, from Sen originally, from Amartya Sen in the 80s, um, when he was, of course, discussing the capabilities approach um, and people's functioning. So an individual's opportunity or capabilities determine their functionings um, that an individual can achieve. The lack of capabilities or freedom to choose them leads to a limited realized functionings and the deprivation or poverty. Now this was, is very conceptual and there have been quite a lot of authors and researchers who have tried to um, to basically bring this down to an indicator level. Um, so how can we actually measure this multidimensional poverty that is not only specifically driven by wealth or monetary um, income? Because of course that's a, the traditional way to measure poverty, right? But there are a lot of different ways in which someone can be deprived other than, than money. Um, so you can see here, um, several authors have actually tried to, uh, um, to bring this into specific dimensions. A lot of the work here in Oxford has actually been done on this, on the, the multidimensional poverty index um, that UNDP now uses also from the, for the Human Development Report. But there are different ways in which a kind of multidimensional index can be created and for different purposes. So. And uh, based on the information that we have, um, we look at these four dimensions that in which people, uh, communities could possibly be deprived. So we look specifically at infrastructure, we look at livelihoods, health, and uh, education or schooling. And I'm going to come back to the indicators in just a moment. So the methodology that we use here in this paper is first we do um, the, uh, poverty measurement, and then after that, we also, we try to predict poverty. Um, so first, um, we look at each indicator and we analyze it separately. And we give each indicator um, a binary yes or no. So you are deprived or you are not deprived in that area. And then after that, we look at poverty rates for um, each dimension. Um, and basically, we also, then we dis establish a cutoff. And in, in our case, in our paper, we set a relatively low cutoff. So that means we could have a possible inclusion uh, or exclusion error of that. There might be more people who are actually in poverty than we say there are, but we, um, we, we also have played with some different robustness checks here of a 0.7 or a 0.5. Um, 
but for, for, the, for our purposes now, we take a halfway cutoff point. And then you can establish the overall index. But I want to give you a better idea of this. So first of all, within infrastructure, I should also say that each of the four dimensions are all weighted equally. Even though this one has many more indicators, infrastructure still counts for 25% of the entire poverty index, right? But we actually look at this in different ways. So we look at poverty in each area, and then we look at poverty altogether, and so multidimensionally. Um, within infrastructure, we look at basically transport. So we look at if the community has a bus service, and this is a, a bus service within the country. Can they actually get from their village or whatever to the capital or to another, another village? Um, we look at if the community has public lighting. So basically, for each of these dimensions, they're deprived if they do not have this. It's a yes or no, okay? Um, they, if the community has public lighting, if they have piped water, if they have sewage drains and a kind of a sewage system in the, in the community, if they have public garbage collection. Um, and here, if the community has had water interruptions or shutoffs at least once, in a, once a month on average, then they're deprived in this area. The same thing um, for electricity. If they've had blackouts at least once a month on average, then they are also deprived in this area. Um, if they have an internet connection, so if they don't have an inter internet connection in general available in the community, so like if there isn't a DSL line or something like that, then they're deprived in this specific area. A post office, and then if the community has uh, um, basically security or police services that are also in charge of that area. Um, so then we put all of these together, and those make up infrastructure, and then infrastructure is 25% of the total index. Um, for livelihood here, this is based on one main indicator, and that is lack of employment cited as main problem in the community. So we had several different indicators here that were all talking about lack of employment opportunities, um, but this was the one that we thought made the most sense. So we asked community leaders, what are the biggest problems in your community? And uh, we took their, their first and most important answer. So if their most important answer in the community was that there was a lack of jobs, we took this one. We actually had also other questions on this, which would have given us an even higher rate of poverty. I think very few communities actually said they had an adequate level of, of employment available in the community. Um, as far as health is concerned, we looked at if there was actually a health center in the community. So this means any kind of a health center. This includes hospitals or, small, um, or smaller facilities. Um, if there's a pharmacy in the community, and then we also looked at quality of health care. So as long as they said that the quality of health care in their community was medium to good, then they were not deprived in this area. And as far as education is concerned, if they had a primary school or if they had a secondary school in their community, then they were not deprived in this area. Okay, and then uh, afterwards we did the poverty. So just to give you better example of what we're doing here. So we have the four dimensions and the index and the things that we're really interested to see what the associations are with is um, migration prevalence and migration destination. So if you want to think about journeys, this is where they're going here. Um, and for migration prevalence, we measure this in two ways. So we um, have a dummy variable for if the um, community has high migration or low migration, but we also do this as a rate. So we have the estimated rate of migration also for each community. We do it in two different ways. And here we split up migration destination as Russia, Italy, or other. Most of the sample is in these two countries, and other here would include, for instance, Turkey, Israel, France, a few other countries. 
But maybe, again, this is all on the community level. So here, this is the main destination of migrants for that community. So this is all on the community level. It doesn't mean that for these communities that even if their main destination is Russia, that some of their migrants also don't go to Italy. Okay, I just want to make that clear. All right, so this is, these are the results of our general uh, multidimensional poverty index. So this is now for all the communities um, that we looked at in Moldova. We're not splitting it up yet by migrant or non-migrant or whatnot. And you can see the specific areas in which um, uh, the communities are really much more deprived than others. So if we look at it on a multidimensional aspect, so here we have infrastructure and the total deprivation in infrastructure so uh, of the communities. So that means that 83, 84% of communities are well off in infrastructure, so only 16% are deprived. Now the picture changes immensely when we look at livelihood. This is by far the area in which um, all a good portion of the communities are deprived. So here, more than 50% of communities are deprived in uh, opportunities for, um, for livelihoods. If we look at health, it's uh, slightly better. Um, so here we have um, about 78% of communities um, being well off in health, and education rates the best. So most communities are not deprived when it comes to education. I mean, these things do make sense considering it's a post-Soviet country with a lot of um, specific types of infrastructure set up previously. So these are not um, strange outcomes. But of course, what is worrying and why we know also uh, and is, is this figure, that so many of the communities say that there's really no form of livelihood for them. And just so you know, we also, I mean, we, we um, did a random selection. So our communities are also across rural, rural, urban, et cetera. It's not only, a, for instance, a rural problem. This gives you an idea here. This is, our, um, this is our data now. These are all the communities. This is the rate of migration in the community. And this is just the community ID, so you can ignore that. Now, this is um, percent of households with a current migrant abroad. So this is not 100% of people are abroad, but this would be 100% of households have at least one member who is abroad at the moment, right? And you can see that actually these are really high rates. I mean, even up to more than 90% of community members in one community have at least one member of their household abroad. That is a lot. Um, for our analysis, uh, for the high-low migration, we, we hit a, made a cutoff point here at 35%. So these are high migration uh, um, communities, and these are low migration communities. All right, our first, um, our first beginning, let's say, uh, results here. Um, we take here high migration and low migration communities, and then here we take it by the destination of where the, the migrants are going. And we look across the different dimensions of poverty and the overall poverty index. Now, I mean, really what emerges here, this is, I mean, not controlling for anything yet, these are just the basics, is that we don't really see much of a difference. Um, in um, here we get a slight difference uh, with regard to schooling, which means here that low migration areas are slightly better off with regard to schooling. And here we see a significant difference between basically um, uh, those who are in Russia and Italy and then other countries with regard to their, um, the infrastructure in their community. 
And, I, and this also does make sense here that such a low, uh, that the people who are going mainly to Russia are coming from low infrastructure <coughs> communities. We know in general the people that are going to Russia um, usually come more from rural areas, from smaller places, and they usually also have less education. Okay, so if we come now to some more, um, so to our very first preliminary regressions. Um, when we look at um, here, basically predicting poverty, so this means that we ran um, first probit regression, so that means the dependent variable here is a zero or a one. It's a, it's a, it's a, you have, sorry, it's a zero or one variable. And here, you, I tried to highlight some of the results that are coming out. So, of course, for me, it would have been nicer if we had seen some more across this line. So here we have migration prevalence, low or high, and this is the effect on different types of poverty. So here we have each of the four dimensions, and then the total poverty. Okay, so here we basically see that um, communities that have a high rate of, uh, of migration are basically more deprived in schooling. That's what this is saying. And the same thing for health. Um, now, we don't see the same thing across general livelihoods or infrastructure. Um, the sign is the same on multidimensional index, but it, we, it is not a significant result, so we can't really say something there. The thing that is definitely, I mean, then we have a whole range of other controls here that we put into the model. So we have, a, oh, it's a little bit off of the the chart here, but basically this is distance to the closest like municipal center. This is distance to the capital. This is size of the community, and here you can see size of the community really matters for poverty in these areas, which also makes sense. You would guess that larger communities have more schools, that they have more public services, etc. Et that makes complete sense. Um, then here, we're not very happy still with this control. This is the education level of the community leader. What we're still planning to do is to tease out of the household level data, the average educational level of adults in that, in that community. But we, don't, we didn't have that for now, so this is just based on the community leader. So I think that's not a great control at the moment. Um, and then here we have also the main destinations where people are going. And we don't actually see significant differences here um, with regard to the, where, where the, the migrants are going and uh, um, their poverty. And then this is just a regional dummy, so which part of the country they're coming from. Melissa, mm -hmm. uh, some people here don't see that many regressions. Could you just explain a bit of the stars so they they? they oh, yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so <coughs> the things that have stars here are those that are statistically significant. So those are the results that we can actually say um, that's where actually something is happening. Otherwise, we can say there are positive or negative associations, but it's not statistically significant. So the ones here where I've put the big stars, those are the ones I care more about, of course, because those are the ones that are dealing with migration. But of course, this one here with the three stars, this means it's um, significant at the 1% level. So this means it's very highly statistically significant. Yeah, is that clear everyone? So with that, the previous one, we used the, the dummy for high or low migration, which means yes or no, there is high or low migration. And now we actually look, it's the same, these are the same regressions, but instead of just saying a migration is high or low, we actually look at the entire range of high and low um, migration rates. 
And uh, I mean, the the results don't change too much here. Schooling actually, it's still the results in general still have the same signs, the same directionality. But here, schooling is no longer significantly statistically significant when we use this different variable for migration. But healthcare still is, um, and uh, the size of the community still stays um, significant across um, all of the all of the regressions for all the different types of, of poverty. All right, the last one that I will show you here is, um, this is a different type of, re of regression now. So um, this is on the multi-dimensional poverty index. So now we actually look at the varying scores on, of poverty that each of the communities have. So now it's just not that they have poverty in one dimension or another, we actually look at, at how from low to high poverty, basically. Um, and with this, then, we use um, uh, the high versus low migration. And again, we still see here for the entire multidimensional index that basically um, uh, communities that have higher rates of migration do seem to be have more deprivation in general over with the entire index put together. That's the thing that you should be getting out of this story. But it's not statistically significant, so we still have more work to do there because we can't really say that, that, is, that there's a, um, a significant link. The only thing we still have is size. So coming to the end, I told you these were first very preliminary um, things that we were looking at. We've just been running these the last couple of days when I knew that we were going to come here and have this talk. Um, so coming back to the main research questions, are migration and community level development related? And do we see higher rates of poverty um, among high migration communities? Well, I can say at the moment we have some small evidence for this. We do see some higher rates of um, poverty in, uh, um, in high migration communities with regard to the areas of health and education. Um, and there's let's say, some directional indication that there is more poverty um, in, a, in high migration areas, but this is still not very robust, very, to be very honest. And so we still need to work on this, and we need to work on our controls and try to pull out some other variables that we also do have, but we've, we have to work with a bit more. But I'm very happy to hear your ideas of what could be done here also. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh,